said someone uh, should Jeremy. someone should kill Skype. Someone should kill Skype. Yeah, it's an annoying app, but uh, it didn't we try once with FaceTime audio and then it, the mics get mixed up and it's all problems and uh, Yeah, we could switch to like Zoom or maybe Slack. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm just kidding. The, the, Cisco the, Webex? The choice of lesser evils. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's favorite. Have you ever used Cisco Webex? It have you been involved in a in a conference call? No. I today I did a conference call. My my aunt in Brazil it was her birthday, so it was like Maybe five different locations, Rotterdam, Amsterdam, Utrecht, Rio, New York. And I was like, boy, this is intense, these group Zoom calls. I've never, I haven't been on a group Zoom call ever. That was the first one. And I feel a lot of empathy for all the remote workers. It's like, oh my God. Yeah, I need your empathy. Because people keep raising their voice to be like, no, 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 I want to say something. It's It's horrible. Yeah, it's like conference call with uh, video where you can see the pain. On people's faces and you have to look directly into their eyes there, you, there was a stanford There's, study that came out last week about zoom fatigue and they said you know most yeah. fatigue. i think i mentioned this is like because your you, your fight or flight um instincts are triggered by having to l- stare directly it's like you you've got these yeah. predators looking directly into your eyes yeah um, and not only that the, the audio quality is so bad on, on most people's device and the network that uh neil young made a high-res audio player but he was basically saying Analog audio is better because it's the full waveform, and mm-hmm. a digital file chops up the waveform in little bits. And he says subconsciously, those little pauses between the little bits and that that sort of jagged edge of the of the waveform, it makes you restless. It 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 gets into your soul. It like makes you nervous. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, whatever. I you know I listen to music. It sounds fine. But when you're on Zoom, you really understand that the bad audio quality is bad for your spirit. It's a really like a like a sandpaper on your tongue or mm-hmm. something. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I you know, I, I like good audio quality and I think certain things are overblown, like paying seventy thousand for a power cable, but uh, Zoom is definitely below mm. Neil, yeah, the level Neil of probably should have sold his startup to Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> you mean Twitter just buys every shitty idea? Yeah, well, they no, they they bought Tidal a couple of weeks ago. Oh you know? yeah, they could have gone for way cheaper. Yeah, yeah. maybe like we'd be it would be like a Neil Young channel on Twitter next week, which would be pretty. He cool. did he did say this thing that I found beautiful. He says a digital recording is an approximation, so it's it's kind of you know you 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 dilute reality onto a grid. It's a lesser version, but when you have a tape recording like old tape yeah the, the the thick tape he says it's like a lake reflecting a mountain so the reflection is is there's no idea of of resolution yeah. or anything yeah it, and um I, I think holography the, the traditional form also works like that but yeah i uh, often think about, i was thinking about this this weekend because i was i went camping winter camping in algonquin park which is like a the first park public, ever like created like national park in, in Canada, huge like territory of land, like hundreds of kilometers. Like I think all the Netherlands would fit inside this. <laughs> this oh, park. for sure. Um, and I just like, I, I stayed overnight and we, we camped in our car. We just wanted to try that out because it's like something you can do in an electric car. But I was like walking through the forest and at this, this nice. time of year, the snow is melting and all the debris that's fallen from the trees um, has accumulated, but as the snow melts, it all flattens. It's almost like Photoshop layers that flatten. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. 
it's it, the, I, I can see the 3d render in front of yeah, me. yeah it's like there's pine needles and pine cones it's quite a textural experience but when you're looking at it you're like oh there's no way we could ever digitize this you know because people often say like um we're living in a simulation you're like mm, yeah this is like too complex yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like there's well there's too the, much I, detail. I, I will i will uh, rebuke that or the whatever you say what's the word when you uh, contradict it no I'll take it back. To give a counter-argument. Yeah, yeah. But there's a level of physics where if you keep zooming in, uh, first you get to cells and then you get to molecules and then you get to atoms and electrons and photons and, and you keep zooming in and at some point nothing makes sense anymore. Like the, the, the regular laws of physics don't make sense anymore when you get to strings. I don't know exactly, but Zizek had this sort of joke where he's like, Whoever created the universe didn't es- expect us to zoom in that far. It's like when you're in a video game and you get too close to a texture and you see the pixels. Yeah. It's like, oh, no one's ever going to walk up to this. Bit. And, like, we don't have to get into those details. Yeah. So there, there is a resolution to nature, but it's quite... And then this other quote that I also found interesting is, uh, I think, Peter Blake. He's a designer artist from the 60s and did stuff for the Beatles. Yeah. And he talked about that painting is still the most high-res. So he's used all kinds of technologies and made record covers, which you you reproduce. So there's a screen dot or a pixelation or whatever. But it's just painting, you know, there's no resolution. I think that's what's appealing. I actually watched a video this week, not to turn this into another NFT podcast, but it was like recommending that uh, painters... What is NFT? Non-fungible token. We talked about it a couple episodes ago. I didn't know. I had never heard of it. You have heard of it. But but, uh, (laughs) yeah, uh, funny. Um... But it was promoting the idea of shredding your paintings and turning turning them into NFTs, which is the most yeah, hilarious yeah. statement I've ever seen. Like, just <laughs> <laughs> to create value in the digital world, let's shred the physical equivalent. Anyway, this week, though, Anyways, we do have we have a question. We have a question from a friend of yours, from a good friend. Yeah, Ryan uh, Ryan Stack. I'd say friend and peer. Uh, help uh, helps run and direct. Um, Art Engine, an artist-run center, which is a very common format of um, art institutional kind of artist-running institutions thing that happens in Canada um, and in in parts of Europe as well. But um, I know I know Ryan from when he was an artist, but now he's an artist administrator, and he's always I've I've recently participating in helping or participated in helping him like advance dialogues around artist sustainability. So it is still kind of NFT based, but um, Ryan has a great question. This kind of meta for this podcast. Should we give it a listen? Yeah, let's listen. Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Raphael. Uh, this is Ryan from Ottawa, and I had a question for you. Um, in one of your previous episodes, Raphael, you made an offhand comment about panels and how nobody really liked them. Uh, and after I kind of quieted some of my internal monologue about how they were bad or good, uh, it made me think about a question for you guys. Uh, one, you know, given that talking about art is as much a part of the art world as making it and experiencing it, what do you think are interesting ways to have public conversations about art at this point? What platforms, what spaces, uh, how do we talk about art in interesting ways um, with each other and with others. Thanks. Bye. 
Yeah, thank you, Ryan. The question appealed to me immediately. It's something I thought about a lot. Well, what have you thought about? Well, I, I, I remember when uh, the Clubhouse came along, mm -hmm. and people were like, oh, this is great. It's like an interactive podcast. Was that two months and ago? Then, <laughs> yeah, and I never, I never installed the app or anything, and I thought, oh, this is going to be terrible, because I just have this experience with panel talks being... I've never been to a panel talk where I enjoyed it or learned anything, just ever in in the history of time. And I've, I must have seen a hundred panel talks, because I always try. I always think like, oh, there's some interesting people's people in in the lineup, and it should be good. Yeah. And there's something about the format that no one gets enough time to say what they want, and the audience talks too much, and it's just and. I love artist talks, so it's not like I don't like people talking about art. But and I think artist talks were very meaningful to me in art school, seeing just just opening up to professionals or people who are very deep in a certain direction, and seeing them present the work themselves. So you see the personality together with the work, and so I'm I'm a great fan of artist talks and documentaries and interviews. And but there's I don't know. Have you ever? A, pre a panel talk that you were not on, that you were an audience. Have you ever been thrilled by it? I guess, I guess that's where we're going to start this. But um, yeah, I think. Well, the question is, what's a good way to talk about? Well, the thing is, because a, a panel, if you break it down, is you know, it sounds like a good idea on paper, right? Let's get a bunch of people who know a lot about something or or relative amount together, and then let's put someone in charge, of, like getting the best out of them, like a, a moderator or facilitator. But the way it actually ends up going is like does not end up being get the most out of it. It's get the least amount in in, in a compact well, the, amount of time. Unfortunately, um, I yeah. I have been on panels where well, that's what, not the case. But I, what I what, maybe my thesis in in this thing is that there are certain formats and you should try them. So you figure out like okay, here's the idea. We put a bunch of interesting people on a stage and they talk together. Okay, sounds great. Let's try it. And then after 30 years of trying it and never having one interesting panel talk, then you should question the format. Well, I think that they did do that in like, you know, like late night television. So, you know, they had like the Johnny Carson show or whatever, like, it, the, you know, the, whoever it is now, like um, Stephen Colbert. And there's the interview format, but they used to always have like people stay on the couch afterward, right? Like, Oh, yeah. So, and also but with the Oprah Winfrey and the kind of daytime TV. Yeah, there'd be like on Letterman, you know, it'd be like first guest and then the other guest, hey, why don't you stay behind and you'll be a part of like the discussion. But, you know, it kind of never works. Out. It, it's the equivalent of panel, but whenever that third person interjects, it's like, what are you doing? Get out of this conversation, right? Like, because a conversation is best sort of conducted one on one, um, even at a party. Yeah, which which goes back to Zoom. Also, like, I don't mind Zooms one on one, but it's the group call that's exhausting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there's something about waiting your turn that doesn't make sense in a conversation because it, it like, of course, it it does one on one. Like, you have to be listening to the person right opposite you without thinking about the next thing you're going to say, but. You know, it's that's a very complex um, challenge. Yeah. I actually do a do you, whole like. Do you think it's a technology problem or it's no, 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 it's something a human that... human psychology problem. So, like, I do a, a workshop on bias, unco unconscious bias, and interviewing how to conduct an interview without introducing bias. And to, and you know, you know, because we've talked about this, you and I, like, to get the most out of a conversation, you have to be really good at listening, um, and really. To, because, you know, the best conversations happen not from someone trying to, like, prove their point, but arrive 
in a better place than they they started, right? But to do that again, you have to be much, much better at listening than the average person gives themselves time for. And you have to be self-aware to do that. But if you add more people, the point I want to make is you add a third person to that mix. It's already just such a taxing thing mentally. It's adding like an exponent to the equation. It's just too much. And, And it's often five or six people. Yeah, it's like let's do, I always do reduce everything to a cocktail party, which is very like ableist drinker of me. <laughs> but like, let's imagine a, a cocktail party where there's non-alcoholic and alcoholic beverages. And what is you know, there's usually someone that's courting a bunch of people, and they're talking one to many, right? Like, there's like someone that's like the entertainer of the group, and there's laughter around them, but they're kind of on a monologue. The group's not like, and what did you do then, right? Like, if they are, it's like relatively rote questions. Then there are like little pods of one or two people, often with a third person nodding their head. But you rarely, if ever, in that setting, see like three or more people like like jamming. <laughs> now, the exception to this would be like a campfire scenario or some like longer format, you know, where there's like, un- it's unbounded. Um, like jamming on instruments, for example, where everyone knows what part they play, and they're kind of they're they're there for the long haul. Yeah, but I th- I think then with instruments is a good example that you can listen to 120 instruments at the same time in a symphony orchestra, yeah. but they're not trying to contradict each other all the time and they're all working together well that's just that's just, that's just it. like everyone knows the goal the goal is to sound good but you know but here's here's one of the problems with artists i think mm-hmm. most of the time when artists talk they want to either prove that they're smart or they want to say that they are important and that other things so are you're saying it's like an advertising that, medium yeah, and so when you have too many competing ad mediums talking to each other, it, like <laughs> they, it, it, at the end of the day, I think uh, it's it, it's not very often you would get a painter on stage and a video artist, and then all of a sudden the painter says, "You know what? Paintings are really dumb. People should only look at video art." That's usually not what happens. It's usually the other way around. It's the video artist that will defend video and the document, the democratizing nature of the medium and mm. how it's more timely. And the painter will say, well, painting is forever and it lasts and it's more quiet. And, and then you just get into this mode of people defending their own position, which it, but honestly, end of the day, it, it's like a shoe salesman telling you why you need to But I think shoes. you're making a good point. But where I've seen it actually work is where the traditional format is kind of turned upside down. And specifically, a friend of mine, Stephanie Pereira, if she's listening, I hope she does listen to this podcast. She's like director at New Inc. She's the director of New Inc.? Yeah, she used to be at at Kickstarter, and she would do these unconferences there. And, uh, you know, if you've never been to an unconference, it's just like the idea is we don't know what we're doing. We're going to, like, organize as we go along, right? And But what you end up with are rooms of people that are asymmetric in terms of experience, and knowledge, right? They're, it's the opposite of curating. It's uncurated in a way. And in mm. some of those discussions, those uncurated, you know, um, incidental, like improvisational conversations, I did have great panel experiences, but it was because there was no audience because everyone there was involved in some way. Yeah. And and, and uh, it, it reminds me of art school where uh, it's not, a, that art school is like a four year long on conference mm-hmm, it's true. really everybody's hanging out and you'll talk about shoes and you'll talk about cereal and you'll talk about all kinds of things but you also talk about the work and i think 
uh, creating that trust that at first yeah. you're not hostile, you're hanging out, and then you could talk about mundane things, and then all of a sudden ideas can cross. And I, I found that part. So in the question, he said that dialogue creates art. And I found that the best place for dialogue, just being stuck with a lot of other people for four years. Yeah, that you didn't really have a choice in the matter. Like, I think... So I, and, and, and maybe what, what it is, is now that we're shifting to this online life, it seems online is really, for me, it has always been a better tool for exhibiting than for communicating. Hmm, interesting, because I think it's primarily thought of as a communication tool. Yeah, I think it's a lie. I think, I think uh, it, it, it's... I don't think it's very effective. So you're saying it's like an advertising channel more than it is. Like it's one, it's one. No, to it's ma- an exhibition channel. Well, one to many. Not an There's no dialogue. There's a difference. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. I'm still, I, I, I still make a distinction between showing things and selling things. But. It's a sweeping, uh, sweeping je- uh, comment. <laughs> yeah, these things are necessary, I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, to, to bring it back to the question almost does seem like a response to Clubhouse existing. I could, you know, like I know it's not, but... I participated in a clubhouse um, that was put together and it was like put together by someone I really respect, Annika Meyer. She's a, a curator in, in Germany and she brought great people like uh, into this clubhouse. And I can't like evaluate clubhouse based on my one experience on, you know, on stage. So you can also be a participant. And I've, I've participated that way. Um, but on stage, it really felt like one of the reasons that I, I didn't enjoy it so much as a, um, a speaker is that it was still the panel format of, okay, everyone take their turn um, setting up, you know, why they're here. Like it was mostly introductions. Like once you finish introductions, the panel's over and you haven't had time to make a good point. <laughs> and no yeah. one, there's no dialogue, right? Because everyone already came pre- with their prepared script. Like the worst panels yeah. I've been on outside of clubhouse, like in the art world, have been like prepared questions and I always like I'm I'm prepared to like just let that be like some curators and moderators do that just to like seed the conversation and some artists really demand it. But honestly, like if you want to have an interesting panel, you know, you should surprise me, <laughs> you know, like and I think you should surprise all the artists um, because you're what you're hoping for is something that they wouldn't be, you wouldn't be able to disseminate by a text, which is the primary historically the primary mode of communication in the arts outside of like the cafe example would be like art writing. Um, manifestos manifestos like your greenbergs of the world out there like promoting modernism but um you know writing art and writing and art writing it almost like makes you cringe to say it but it's like has traditionally been the way in which it's the least worst option (laughs) well because art is so um not verbal and not well yeah i remember seeing a documentary about david hockney and and talking about art theory and he said end of the day the only way you can respond to art is in the language of art so you can talk all day long but if you want to critique photography you do that with a photograph and if if you want to critique yeah and i think you know that that expression talk is cheap i i I 10,000 percent agree i've been doing these events at work where i ask people to draw together using the whiteboard function in Zoom. And the c- level of conversation that comes out of that is so far superior to the conversations mm. they have just... That is cool, that, because that's something that didn't exist before. Well, it did, like, on a sketch pad. And, like, Milton Glaser said, drawing is thinking. Yeah, but the, but there's a... Um, if you have a whiteboard in an office, there's a physical space, you're near each other, there's a level of awkwardness. Well, people are... I think you'd... 
don't have in an online whiteboard. Yeah, yeah, that's true. People are really missing. You're right. There's power hierarchies. There's. I remember there was like you know how many Harvard Business Review things on like the power of the whiteboard and whatever. Yeah. Um, but maybe if it's a digital whiteboard and everybody has a tablet in the room, that might be the best setup. Yeah, just thinking. You know, thinking about art and communication. I don't know why we, you know, kind of constrain things to. Um, text or verbal communication as a matter of like reflecting yeah. on it. Well, remember, uh, I, I do think in, in texting and things like Dump FM and people were exploring responding to each other with images instead of words. That's right. That's a great example. The the Dump FM by yeah. our old friend, our writer Rips. But like that, and that resulted... <laughs> World's most notorious net Who's <laughs> he married to Azalea Banks, apparently? Um, yeah. But yeah, like I remember seeing a talk from Facebook's creative director and he said, you know, the interface, this was quite a few years ago, so he's not, I don't think he's with the, the company anymore, but he's like, the interface, the way we're thinking about it for the future is one where it's not text-based communication, because we know that text-based communication where sociology is concerned is such a poor substitute for the nonverbal cues that we exchange day to day. And so our most successful feature he was promoting at the time is actually the like button. The like button is the first digital nonverbal cue. Which I thought was interesting. Oh, and he, then he was like, and the sec- and second to that is the poke feature, which I don't think exists anymore. But if you remember, no, poke kinda... was pretty cool because it was, I mean, cool in a in a in a pretty misogynist way. Yeah. But like yeah. it insinuated that that you were sexually interested in someone, right? Even though it did, <laughs> but it wasn't invented necessarily for. Hey, hey, I don't know if it wasn't. Hey, yeah, maybe they, it probably was invented for that reason. Now I think about it. Yeah, but the, it, it, it does bring up something that. All formats should be tried. And uh, one thing I tried once was the idea of a YouTube conversation. And that, that w- I would do my artist talk and then end, instead of a Q&A, I would put on a YouTube clip mm-hmm. and ask the audience, just play whatever comes to mind after that and after that and try sh- doing short clips. Uh, the first time I did it was in Chicago and it was a lot of fun. So I, I think, you know, someone posted a video of face yoga and then somebody posts a video of... Uh, skateboarders falling and then somebody posts a video of raindrops whatever yeah. and it becomes this associative nonverbal conversation it was quite interesting and then I did it again in Berlin with a bunch of artists and it was really fun and then I did it in Amsterdam and people were so shy and it just stopped after three YouTubes so no, it, it really uh, depends on the you're, culture you're, you're kind of getting an interesting point like, which is the opposite side of this conversation I was watching like this weird little thing from Ethan Hawke. It was on TED, to be perfectly honest, like TED Talks. But he was talking about creativity. And he was saying... The actor? Yeah, yeah. And he was saying, like, hey, no one needs art or creativity until they have, like, a life-altering event. Like, up until then, they're like, yeah, it's just a warm, fuzzy thing. It's nice to have. But, you know, we have to focus on finance and use use value and, you know, what's the utility of this thing? And then he's like, and then you're in love. Or then you lose a loved one. Or you get sick. Or you get, you know, three parts of the way through your life and you're reflecting. And suddenly, like, you can't live without art. And it's because you're grasping to try and communicate how you feel. And you can't find it in the logic of the writing that you've surrounded yourself with or the communication, yeah. uh, with, you know, a verbal yeah. communication. Well, as, a, as someone told me, uh, every 20 years you have to rewrite the love songs because they don't make sense for the next generation. Mm. Well, music is a, a really important point in regards to communication because early on, like abstract expressionist artists were really seeking what music had achieved, which is like the non 
um, visceral, yeah, emotional. Yeah, they were no longer like referring to reality. They were they had invented their own vocabulary of feeling. Uh, yeah, very very plainly put. When you play the drums, you're not trying to make a landscape. Yeah, it's painting. not figurative. It's not. Uh, yeah, it's, it doesn't yeah. refer to any specific thing in the real world. Yeah, because the, I think the ground idea is that, like you were saying, walking through nature, there's no way you can translate that into another medium and make it as awesome. So if you're going to make a lesser version, why not whatever medium you're uh, working in, why not maximize that instead of trying to totally make a little force? Yeah. yeah, I'm always reminded, like, I think it was Smithson who said, like, the best work of art is a highway. But, like, yeah, an experience is not well translated in, into text. And poetry... The best work of art is a podcast. <laughs> but, well, a podcast is... A, we'll get there in a sec. But, like, I think poetry, you know, does its best to create a feeling using the you know, verbal language. And I'm not going to, you can't, you can't deny that some people speak and they seem inspiring and then other people say the exact same thing and it falls flat. So, you know, like the way in which. Yeah. The, it's like when you try to retell a joke after you saw a great comedian. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there, there's a lot that goes into effective communication that we cannot just reduce down to like podcasts are good or like panels are bad. Right. Like, well, they, they, I agree with that. I think there's good examples. I just think the panel in particular, I would have to be proven wrong, but I've never seen a good one. Mm. Maybe you've never seen Jerry Seinfeld and Sarah Silverman on a panel together. Or something. No, I, I think even that I've seen panel talks with comedians online, and I think something like Comedians in Cars, where it's one-on-one, mm-hmm. is a lot better. Well, it's interesting, because like, obviously, if this podcast were a panel, we've talked about it many times, having like a third person on it, every time yeah. we decide not to. Um, because we've built up a trust and fluency and let you no longer interrupt me and all those things that make it a more interesting (laughs) conversation. (laughs) Only once every two minutes. But I remember my favorite podcast, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast many, many times, was like, it's no longer on NPR anymore, but it was like this show called Car Talk. And it was just a, people would call in with a question similar to the format for this show now. And then these two guys who were brothers they would try and answer the question about cars, which is such a boring topic, but they would do it in such an entertaining way with so much chemistry that it didn't matter that they were talking about carburetors. They were, ta- you know, they were talking about friendship um, in a way that was really kind of endearing and exciting. Um, and that the audience was just like in love with, like they would come up with excuses to call about their car. So I think, so you know. Ma- yeah. but, but back to the, the question of the, <laughs> yeah, this yeah, episode. Yeah, we were pretty far off the deep end. How do you talk about yeah. art? Yeah. How do you talk about art if if panels are not that great? And in my experience, it just seems artists being together for a lot of time, that's the only way. Like it, Yeah, but if it, you want to include an audience, you know, what's... Yeah, but like being part of a community, that's basically it. And, and maybe Reddit is a good way to start a community. I don't know, but... I think the, you're making a good point. The, no, no, but let me finish. But the best moments for me were art school... And then meeting artists with exhibitions, doing shows together, and just spending a lot of time together. It doesn't work just hang out for half an hour and talk. It's more like spend a week together or more and or live in the same city. And then you might go to a panel talk and see your friends, but it's not about the panel talk. And it's it's about spending time together. And everyone's kind of got some skin so, in the game at that point, so, too. So maybe maybe that's my point is like spending time and uh, it's weird in a year like this well it does remind me i often bring up like you know the 1960s and and fluxes happenings none of which i've attended but i've read a lot about and the idea was always that the audience was had a role in creating as well 
And I think that that is in the spirit of what you're describing, which is like a panel would make sense in so much as like there can't be an audience. There can only be everyone there needs to be there to create the same um, the same thing, which which they don't know and they don't even know what it's going to be. Right. So hierarchies don't really belong so much in a productive conversation about creativity and expression. Right. It's a bit oxymoronic. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. But do do you find that. that art is so nonverbal that a lot of times with teaching, uh, you can talk about technology, you could you can motivate people, but the real thing of like how something becomes a better work is so subjective that it, it maybe what I'm trying to say is it involves a lot of trust. Like who do you listen to? Because oh, yeah. you can ask anyone on the street to critique your work, and some people might like to work that way. But I think if you're very specialized, you should not. The, the, the design by committee problem. Mm-hmm. So that's that's maybe also my problem with art school. It, it's good to talk colloquially and sort of outside of the class when you're having a sandwich together. But the group critique, I think you, there's a wind tunnel effect where if you just put a, a certain uh-huh. amount of people together and critique a work, it will always come out you're the same You're just saying way. like th- there's not very much incentive for disagreement. No, what, what, what I'm saying is if you're making a work and it comes from a, a nonverbal part of your brain and you're developing it, and then it's still early stages, so it's it's a little bit vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And then oh, yeah. 12 talented teachers come in and they break it down and they say, this is wrong, that's good, do this, do that, do that. And they influence it too much. And like it hasn't ripened yet, so there's there's something, there's there's a danger in talking too much. Too like, early. Th- I, I think that's why you don't see that many artist groups also, because... I think talking about art too early in in its in its infancy is is dangerous because you'll you'll shift to spoken language I do, and I then do. you say yeah you, you, I know you like to work in a different way no, so no, you no, love no. to talk actually to people, I mean I had a collective and I felt the same way we would often get competitive over what idea we were going to produce and yeah or too practical or you start to explain things too much mm-hmm. and you say well this element of the work stands for this well if it stands for that we should replace it with this and oh, I think wood would be a better material because it represents this and that and that. But, well, intuitively, you were drawn to plastic or whatever. And so when you're painting or photographing or editing or writing or whatever, don't let too many people in on the creative process so that, yeah, I I think that there's there's something encouraging about talking to other people, but it's also Mm. a danger when you let them too close. Yeah, just I do flip that upside down in my own practice, which is like I always start every project with a large amount of listening and understanding of context. But but has that always been that way, or is that the last few years? Mm, That's an interesting question. Because you you were making weirdo solitary videos, and those don't feel like you had a lot of conversation. A Before you question. make question over time, I yeah, how for maybe yeah I, I don't know. I, over time, it's become like so important, and I throw away like obviously a huge amount of material. Like not everything is relevant that you hear, right? But you know, it's I mm-hmm. think of it as the interview. Um, like you have to like if you're making a sculpture for a town in Poland, well, I, I feel your very work has become more communal. Yeah, it's just really hard not to make a work for a context and not have experienced that context. So I find it's mm. really important. Like for me, I'll insist on traveling on my own expense sometimes, or doing a research trip if I'm going to do a work in a specific place, because 
I've had experiences where the concept just does not translate well to that place or the people in that space. And it's, and it, and it comes off as me not having, not in dialogue. It's the opposite of dialogue, right? Like yeah, it's rhetorical yeah. and kind of positionless. But the, the, the early videos you made, I think they were made for the internet. Yeah. As a so they're in dialogue so with the you internet. Did, yeah. You didn't need a dialogue with the internet asking them, is this appropriate? They were in dialogue with the internet in so much as I watched a lot of YouTube videos and then I was kind of like responding to what I was seeing, you know, in terms of the format and stuff like that. So they weren't absence of observation. So I, yeah, I can't really, I can't really speak to the idea that like, um, converse, a conversation is one way of observing, but not if you're just talking without listening. Well, let me, let me give you an example that, my dad has been an art teacher for 40 years, and he would say you would get people who have parents who are in the arts or they live in a big city and they, they know the culture of art and the way to talk and all that stuff. And then you have people who come from a small town. They're very talented, but they don't, they're not doing what most teachers deem appropriate, mm-hmm. aesthetically appropriate. So you might have a kid from a small town who's really into goth subculture and airbrushing yeah. in the mid-90s. Pretty cool. And they come in and they're great at airbrushing, you know, and they can make all these fantasy creatures that look like Giger and all that stuff. And then all the teachers go, well, that's not allowed. That's not art. Mm -hmm. Go look at Picasso. Go look at this and this and this and this and all the things that we deem appropriate. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you just kill the spirit of that kid because they were really excited about something. Yeah, I mean, that's bad teaching for sure. It does remind me like there's bad writing too, like that, you know, and there's... Yeah, but but, there's a homogenous a homogeneic cultural aspect to talking about art, there, there's a danger there for me where and, and the people from all kinds of backgrounds and interests and then you come into this culture where we're like, no, that's kitsch. No, that's not appropriate. No, that's not cool. And, you know, and you, yeah. you know, someone called it like throwing water on the fire. Like someone has a fire and then you just, if you critique it too much. Absolutely. I mean, I remember, like, I, I actually worked as a, semi as an art journalist for a little period i had like a, a youtube channel and i would go with this my friend nadja sayaj actually started it and it was called art stars i still have the stencils on my car my old car um but we'd go from like opening to opening and was we called it gonzo journalism because we would interview the artists at their openings um, but we would usually come relatively unannounced and we would try and keep the tone a bit absurdist and so the conversations exposed it was really unfair but it exposed a weakness in the art world around language ultimately like and what we're discussing here because there's no way at an opening you can speak intelligently about your work it's like it's extremely stressful yeah you have to give 100 people attention and everybody came over from afar to see you and you're like i'm sorry i wish i could talk to you but i have to talk to that person yeah ultimately ended up yeah. quite ashamed of what we had created <laughs> because you know on, on occasion we take, took down like a major artist we would take down like a douglas copeland or something like that and because it didn't matter how celebrity how big a celebrity it was there it's was trolling no, they, there it's was trolling. yeah it was total trolling like there was no way that they could look good basically it was <laughs> unfortunate and we had all the editing you know ability and why did you guys do it we did it because we wanted to poke fun at writing and criticism so like and and it was specific because the the tone of voice in art was too serious it was too serious and it was also not resulting in what we felt was like exciting or interesting work like at the end of the day that and this is a very good point though that there's a, a certain type of conversation and you get asked a question and you think 
this could be good and and you sincerely go into the conversation and you you get uh, cornered and there's no way you can come out of it alive <laughs> yeah. and uh, you know we were really we got really good at that and we would dress Nadja up in like these outfits that were like would appeal to misogynists let's put it that way like she had very large breasts and then we would put her in these revealing outfits and it was her idea but she wanted to expose it's like temptation yeah island. she wanted to expose yeah. that these men were like you know just as bad as you thought they were, but no one ever said. So we were, it, in a way, it was, yeah, it was a way for us to expose. Well, it's like bad journalism when you, you already have the story done in your head and then you go do the research. Yeah, yeah. Well, in a way, yeah, it was like, it, it, it was like those shows where they trap a battle or something. <laughs> like, yeah. So, it, I mean, I, I say all this because, like, it oh, was a man. different conversation than what we were seeing. This is why I'm scared of podcasting. Because I'm cornering you on this. <laughs> yeah, or, or the, it, 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 I, I've never had a bad experience like people saying I'm an asshole for saying this or that, mm. but I'm constantly afraid of misspeaking. And, uh, and I think a lot of people are. And, and I think we're not used to speaking in public that much. But I think that that was you know? when we did have someone who got it and participated, they 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 adopted Persona because we were using Persona. But it's a good it's a it's a very good point, because it's like, how do you talk about art when people are trying to corner you and when the general dialogue is very heated. Well, I can remember performing in character. I had this French artist character and my mom, I did a show in like someone's home in the north part of Toronto and my mom came to the opening and my mom brought flowers and I was like, this character is a very rude French artist. <laughs> and like I threw the flowers in my mom's face and told her she was like, uh, like I don't know, some horrible thing. And she still says she, she, she'll, she'll never forgive me for having behaved that way. But ultimately, in that moment, she entered in, she, she, she adopted like a persona. So she started to play along with me. Um, and that ultimately is what you're talking about. What happens is like the, the, you have to adopt like, what were you talking about? The wind tunnel. So like for everyone to communicate, they all have to like play by yeah. the same rules. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, and, and, and the medium is the message. I think yeah, and, and I think at this point, there's so much risk to saying things that are... So, what, it, what I'm basically saying, everything became political. And so you go to art school because you have this innate interest in useless things. And politics is all about useful things. So you get into this weird zone where, you know, you might want to say like, Oh, I like the way trees move in the wind. How dare you say that because the trees are dying and you think you can just talk about trees, blah, 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 blah. You get cornered in this whole level of... of uh, I guess so. Sort of, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's sort of a, a level of, 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 of verbal bodybuilding and like people showing how strong they are. And that's... I mean, that, I definitely to. remember from art school there being like sort of a Derrida off, like, you know, who can quote the yeah. most, yeah. <laughs> um, the most obscure philosopher or something like that. Um, yeah, and it's very aggressive. It's like everyone's trying to prove that they're the smartest. And, and how is that helpful? But I think I had some really great discussions with people who took the more foolish approach, right? Where it's like, okay, well, let's approach Derrida with like the fool's mindset. Let's like, like that. Let's not pretend we know anything. <laughs> Derrida for idiots or for dummies? Well, like yeah. we're all dummies, of course. Like, and philosophers would have wanted you to be a dummy when you were reading it because otherwise it wouldn't have been a very good work of philosophy, right? Because there'd only be like one what? interpretation of it. Here's an example. I was in art school the first year and we were all just painting in class and doing collage. And one of the teachers took me aside because he saw I wasn't so into the critique thing. And he's like, so why do you don't you want to talk about art? And I'm like, no, you have to do it. There's no point in talking mm, this about it. This is where I thought it. you were going to get like, well, 
And and I, I was like, well, there the, the are underlying things that are productive to talk about. And what do you think of the work of your classmates? And I'm like, yeah, there's 100% nothing. There's there's no one even slightly inspiring. <laughs> and he kind of looked at me like, whoa, well, what kind of art do you like then? And I'm like, well, I really love Andy Warhol and uh, I love Dali. And he's like, he looked at me, he's like, whoa, take it easy, boy. <laughs> and he's like, I can accept Warhol, but Dali, no, 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 no. We can't talk about that. That was too foul and kitsch and whatever. Oh, really? And he really looked at me like as if I just said something very bad. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I mean, we can't really credit. I, I don't want to create too much space for art schools as like they're they're credible sponsors of dialogue ultimately, right? But sometimes they've like the Bauhaus, for example, had this ideal that like you know anyone should be able to pursue any idea with of of whatever craft you know material within the Bauhaus, and they were the, one of the first schools to accept women. Uh, into their programs, right? But then, like, they all oh, were then thrown. They, then they the steered them department. into crafts and told them, like, no, only women women can only do this. And, and they made amazing work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I, there no doubt there's a history in art school of like, and, and including like classically trained art artists. You know, who were for you know you couldn't the the male nude was not even considered um, palatable, right? So you could only draw women for the longest time. Um, and women wouldn't be allowed to do that. Anyway, the art school is not a great template for dialogue historically. That said, my own experience. No, but personally, yeah, yeah in my own experience. In my own experience, yeah. um, the first ever art class I had was... Well, maybe it's the least worst option. Let's call it that. Well, I, yeah, I don't know. The, the first ever art class I had, I didn't have a choice and It was the only one I could get into. Like, there were not enough spaces. And it was a woman in art class. And uh, it was great. I was the only guy in a, you know, or male identifying in a, in a room full of women or women identifying folks. And um, they taught me some lessons. <laughs> you know, like it was a great template for like, you don't know, you don't know what you're talking about, which was great. Uh, like, honestly, I was, I feel very lucky that I had that experience uh, early on. And there was great discussion. And I felt so privileged because I didn't have access to that conversation, which is kind of the, yeah. the, the main point I want to, I, I want to get at in terms of panels. Like, if we go back to the panel thing originally, panels suck when you hear everyone say the same thing. Panels are great when there's a lot of disagreement from different perspectives. And they're not really panels at that point, they're conversations. And I think we can agree that like, that's, you know, ultimately conversation, whatever medium you're using, whether it's paint, right? I think art, visual art, like is in, is in conversation as well. It's a form of communication and conversation. And, um, and and the same thing goes for words, right? Like you're not always going to have the right words, but as long as everyone is listening and responding yeah. versus just like advertising, as you said earlier. Well, yeah. It's great. And, and one of the, I think uh, one of the conclusions I've drawn, I don't know if you've come to the same conclusion, is that spending a lot of time with other artists, but not being forced to, it's, if you, let's say that we're all shifting online. That's maybe the point I'm trying to make. And so how do you communicate with other artists? And the problem is you can set up a time and talk to people, but that's not the same as living together no, in no, a school or in a town or whatever. So one of the problems of panel talks or clubhouse is that it's like, okay, let's come up with some genius things right now. And that's just not how humans work. So I think part of why work from home sucks is you don't have the accidental conversations uh, in the office and that's the same for art school and that's the same for bars and all, all that stuff mm. so I don't know if this it's is it's true, true for schools too right like I think the best seminars or the best critiques are the ones that were the most open 
to not having any idea what they were going to be about. Like I was once given a very important lesson from another teacher because I would find I was when I was teaching at NYU that one semester and you you helped me. Thanks for coming in. But I would I would like not sleep, you know, for days, like preparing these like per, what I thought were perfect lectures. And then I would get to the the class and we would end the the day and I would I would still have like an hour's worth of material and I'd be like fuck I didn't get through it all and a teacher like upon reflection was you know helping me a few like months later was saying like you know like to do that class well you really should have created more space for the students to create the class mm. you know yeah. it wasn't never about you giving a great lecture and I really regret like if I ever had another shot at teaching if I think back on the best teachers I had, they they created a ton of space, not to for them to be think, right, but for the audience. Do you, you know. think you could recreate that teaching experience uh, online? Well, I've tried. Like, I, I have a, a school that I run online. We just closed our semester last week for product management. And, um, like, honestly, we our last, like, it was tough. Like, it, people don't want to... You ask a question in a room full of 20 people in a Zoom conversation... And it got it to level absurdity where it's either the same exact person that answers or no one wants to answer because they don't want to interrupt one another. When I think on classrooms, they have a similar problem where there's no incentive to be the like the highest yeah. sunflower in the I room am, to stand out. I am thinking about the, the internet surf clubs that was a popular thing and it did create a sense of online community, maybe together with text chat, like maybe it was Gchat at the time. And you had spirit surfers and nasty nets and other things. Yeah, and you were, you participated and in I, that, I, right? Yeah, and computers club. And I do think there is something about posting, so that you you post and you've worked on a post. It's it's like a statement, mm-hmm. and maybe not too intentional, not too not too much pressure to create something genius because it's it's just a blog in a in a in a stream of posts. It's just um, so there's something useful about that. So maybe maybe. So, for younger artists, it's good to start a surf club. Well, the stream is an interesting... Similar to Dump FM. But the stream is an yeah. interesting conversation in regards to conversation. <laughs> because, like, the stream doesn't have a point of view that it, you know, it, it evolves one, right? Like, in, you think of Tumblr, Twitter, all these early internet forms, even Instagram, to a certain extent. The original proposition was, it was similar to like Ryan Tricartan created that piece. Like, was it streams of the net? I can't remember, but like rivers, rivers, right. Yeah. Rivers.net or whatever it was. Um, no podcast show notes. So Google it. I don't know. Anyway, but the idea was that the internet was almost like a cable television stream. Just like it, things were just like coming at you and they, you could catch them with your net, but it was always changing, always evolving. It was an experiential platform. And then as algorithms matured, they started to hold certain like, leaves that were you know in the waves or going down the stream they'd hold them you know for you to see like this was really popular or you might like this thing that you would you know you might have missed this really important thing and that's when the the stream kind of changed into more of like um a building like it was solidified like bricks that people were building um and i think at that point the converse it became a little less of a conversational medium but i think you're right like the early internet was much more community conversation based yeah well yeah i think the early internet uh, there was a, a technical level that you needed, so it it held back a lot of people and trolls and comments and all that stuff. So if you didn't know how to use an FTP tool, you were so that there is the same with podcasts. I I thought, oh, isn't there an easier tool to do podcasts? And now maybe that's Clubhouse, and maybe that brings too many voices at once. It, 
Maybe it's nice that you need a bit of dedication to a barrier to entry. Yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking like Facebook had the Facebook wall and that evolved into the Facebook stream. But I think we're back in this place where we're sitting in front of all these walls. And, the, the, mm. you know, there's new people and new platforms like Clubhouse trying to come in here or tr- arriving on the scene to try and break through that wall and get back to that dynamic yeah. place. Yeah. And Twitter's like innovating a bunch of new products now. But one of the ones that they're innovating, I think, is they might have you like pay for content. There's a lot of monetization. And I think that's arrived because the quality quality of conversation has reached a point where people are like giving up on this form as a like a, this yeah, uh, on yeah, the internet yeah, as a communication yeah. form and they're like I, f- I feel like there's a there's a great uh, niche or like an opportunity to create a, a social network that excludes politics it's like there's some kind of bot that goes like oh whoa, whoa take it easy this well is i mean i i would personally be interested in like really deep polit- political discussion like everyone has a different interest but yeah, we have a different interest. No, but that's fine. I think that that's important. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you like it? You open an app and there's absolutely no politics. Sometimes, yeah. And then other times I might want yeah. it. Like, you know, I get bored of it too. My mom was like just ranting. It's her birthday. Happy birthday, mom. But she was also like giving me some political um, earful earlier. And I was just like, mm, not really interested in this conversation because I didn't agree with her politically <laughs> and I, did, I wanted to avoid conflict. <clears throat> um, yeah, you're not going to change each other's mind. Well, yeah, that's a longer conversation for another day. But ultimately, I think for where a panel's concerned and where communication is concerned, we want the most number of points of view necessary for someone to at least have some stake in the conversation. That's where I'm I'm either interested or not interested. Like do if I think I was always taught like your audience, you know, is the primary communicator. That's what that's what's evolved in my head. Like you let them communicate. It's like you don't tell them um what to say. Like you have you have to respect your audience enough that they are contributors yeah. to the conversation. Yeah. And the thing I've always noticed is like when I give an artist talk, like most of the time I look around and I talk to people before and after I do a talk, and most of the time they're way more like knowledgeable about a topic than I am, or they have a really interesting point of view, and they likely should be up on stage, you know, as much as I should, right? Like, and I. Th- I don't know. Like, I don't have a good point here. Well, but. maybe maybe that's why I like the artist talk. Like, it's very clear you came for one person. Yeah. And if you didn't, wa- if you don't want to be there, you don't have to be there. And if you want to be there, you're welcome to come. Yeah. And then that person talks, and you're excited to see that person. And in a panel talk, that yeah. I don't know if <laughs> that really, makes we have, any we sense. Have, this has been the longest unpacking of panels. No, ever. but I, I I think there's a, a very interesting. Um, challenge, problem, whatever you want to call it, that if we are moving online and art schools are too expensive and too elitist, and how can you create a community without paying 150000 And so I think that, and, and I still think that being close to each other geographically and running into each other is important. I, I don't see, maybe I'm too old, but I don't see these accidental meetings and having fun online and no, I think you're making a good point, which is something. like if you're organizing yeah. something, you know, if you're Ryan and you're, you're running Art Engine and you're organizing something for 2022, post-pandemic world, where, you know, or maybe organizing something right now, like do you jump on Clubhouse yeah. and you try and run after the latest thing? Or do you you kind of go back to fundamentals and think, hey, what is what is the outcome I'm seeking to create? Like in terms of yeah. what's the world well, I want to I want to be a part I, of? You remember with BYOB that everybody kind of knew each other from online. But most people hadn't seen each other in person. And it, 
it is very interesting to already know each other's psyche, sort of, because you've seen each other's mm. work. And then it's energizing to meet each other in it person. It was. It was. It, you got yeah. a lot. You and, got a lot of information behind. You know, it was almost like a VIP behind the scenes pass all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah. And 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 um, but I, I maybe there's an interesting tension of this half online and half personal meeting. And but I, you know, I hope. And the the only problem I see with personal meetings is that they are tied to whoever can make it to the big city, which is not easy. You know what my favorite, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this back one, one more level, but like one way that artists get to communicate that you know, the general public doesn't have access to unless they're really, they have a lot of money. And you might disagree with me on this, but I love this format is I actually love the reception dinner <laughs> before an opening, if one occurs. Like, um, and the reason I like it is because I usually have to sit next to a stranger. I don't have a choice of get who I get to talk to. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's fun sometimes. And usually yeah. I get stuck next to someone that looks like they're probably the most boring person in the entire room. But it turns out they've had the most exciting life and stories to share. And I, I love that opportunity. I don't get to have it anymore. Like those kinds of encounters with people you didn't expect to meet. Um I know that's like such a like bougie yeah, thing to say, I, but like I might have a little, I, I, you know, I've been lucky to be in some conferences where I've met extremely specialized, high level professionals who have fascinating lives, all this mm-hmm. stuff, and they'll see my talk and they're like, "Wow, I never saw yeah. art that does that," and then I'll see their work and I go, like, "Oh, I never saw a scientist approach things like this," and then you even exchange contacts and you might have coffee later but it i've never it's only for that that, moment yeah yeah i've never had that translate to a meaningful collaboration so it's always been a very interesting exchange of personalities and then it kind of fizzles i think of it like a train station almost for ideas yeah Um, and yeah anyway we haven't had those train stations for ideas for like a year or more for some of us in our entire lives. And if you don't get access to it, what what you're seeking though is pretty universal, which is like re- mutual respect, you know, and understanding. And you want, you know, the person that you're talking to, you want them to ask as many questions as you're asking of them. And well, it's, it, it's, I think at the first level, when you see a talk, you're not searching for mutual respect, but you're searching for information where um, you're, you're introduced to a person's thinking mm-hmm. in a much more, a thrilling way than reading or watching an interview or documentary. It, there's something about that in-person presentation that really grabs your attention. Sometimes it depends on the mm-hmm. speaker, but yeah. But then I'm, what I'm talking about is the part after where you get to talk to yeah. them. But that's not, yeah, that's rare. And it's, and it's a privileged thing to have access to, but if we could create more of those experiences, the number of times, like here, here's a question for you, you know, you know, when you give a talk, there's a few people that stick behind that stay back. You know, and they want they want to talk they want to talk to you, um, and then but ninety nine point nine percent of people just walk right out of the room. <laughs> they just like go home. Mm-hmm. You know, they do whatever yeah. the next thing is that they want to do. But and I've also been in the audience and waited, and it's a very tense environment while you're waiting for access to this person. But like the golden ticket in that moment is still the invite to the dinner afterward or the drink afterward, and the best conversation happens in the no no bullshit scene. Where you you know you're sharing a drink or a meal afterward, and people are like, yeah, but of course, like that's not how it really is, right? Yeah, I I, I think I'm maybe more the 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 further along I get, I just want to spend time making my things, and I've found it very exciting. Like, oh, I'm at a dinner and I'm sitting next to 
a famous actor or a famous scientist and whatever. I'm not saying they have and to be famous. I'm less and less interested in it over I remember I like had a dinner after a show. Someone invited them along because they thought I'd be interested in them. And it was the inventor of kid pics. Oh, that that is cool. And this thing, yeah, this guy was incredible. Like, and he had also taught digital art. This is No, 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 but that's <laughs> that's not what I mean. Like, that's a person is very close to your aesthetic, and he laid the groundwork for what you're doing. So it's a very meaningful <laughs> okay, exchange. Yeah, that's a good point. But I'm saying, if you're sitting next to a venture capitalist, and, he's, and you're like, oh, boy, he's a very famous venture capitalist, whatever. And then, yeah. I did I did have that opportunity just before the pandemic hit. My last trip was to hang out with a bunch of like business leaders and venture capitalists. And I met this teacher who's taught, you know, Steve Jobs' daughter and all this stuff. And But the, there was a dinner hosted by like this famous venture capitalist. And he wasn't, he was actually kind of interesting. Like in so much as like I had assumed he was one oh, thing, yeah, but he, yeah. he, he had a very different yeah. point of view than I, uh, like a lot of times we make assumptions about the people we sit down I with. I know, that's, I'm just provoking, yeah. but it, it, there are, of course, there are, Tons of interesting people in all kinds of professions, even the ones you think are just there for money. Yeah, I guess the good point that I'm trying to make, which I shouldn't be forcing down your throat, is that like I would love an art talk that wasn't all artists. You know, like I would love, um, I love, I love if there was a panel. The like if so, let's take panel. Like I know we're getting near end of time here, but what if you were constrained to a panel? How would you make that panel great? Like you would, you might start by like inviting a member of the audience into the panel. Yeah, what would, like what would your ideal panel look like if you had if you couldn't change the format of a panel? Yeah, it, I mean, I'm I'm trying to think back of great artist talks. Like one of my favorite artist talks was seeing Werner Herzog, and he didn't talk for too long, and there was a lot of Q and A, and he was just very engaging and and very human the way he answered questions was very Mm. at the level of how you're living your life and understandable but also deep at the same time and funny um so maybe just having the right guests but even there was this episode i think it was called talking funny and it was a bunch of comedians i think chris rock and jerry seinfeld all talking together and it was still much less interesting than the comedians in cars format so Mm. It's like when they asked Tim Cook, uh, how would you fix Facebook? He's like, well, I wouldn't even want to be in Facebook, so I would never even get close to it. Okay, so panel for you would be two people one person. or one person. It would actually yeah. be self-guided. <laughs> well, maybe in, no, no, I, I do like it with an interviewee, and okay. so maybe two artists talking to each other. That, that might be a better okay. way of doing Which, it. Yeah. Two, two artists who um, you think would have a good chemistry, but then you're basically at the podcast format. We're basically at good point. <laughs> Except that it's the same. And, and I, I think there's something great about podcasts that they're pre-recorded and that the sound quality is good and you can listen to it any times. Well, I think that that's if you go back to Clubhouse, Clubhouse has been very, very successful. For our listeners who don't know, we kind of gla- glazed over that too. Clubhouse is like you know, the privileged thing because you need an invite. Yeah, you need an invite to get on Clubhouse. But if you haven't got on, don't worry, you're not missing too much. But um, what it is is like there are like little rooms. <laughs> it's, similar calls. To, it's like Discord but with audio. So like. There are rooms around different themes, and then in those, you know, rooms there might be a ta- like a there, an event, and during that event there's like a panel. Basically, there are a bunch of people who are on stage, they call it, um, or in the spotlight. I can't remember. And there's a host, and then members of the audience, and the members of the audience can like ask questions at certain points or be invited on stage to also talk. Um, and it, it's pretty much like a phone conference, <laughs> but the way a lot of people enjoy it, like I have a friend who listens, he's, he's on Pat leave. Uh, hey Jason. And 
he listens to Clubhouse all day long and he's like texting me these like exciting things he's hearing on Clubhouse. But what he's doing is he's got it on in the background while he's doing other things. Like he's changing the diapers. He's like, you know, preparing Mm. a meal and Clubhouse is kind of this ambient um, connection. I think it exists because, you know, we're, we don't have access to this type of thing. We don't have, we don't have access to the hanging out. Yeah. There's no hanging out, right. There's no friendship. Like friendship got canceled you know, hanging out with people. Yeah, it's a like, sad situation. So, yeah, so... It's such a bad How do you feel connected yeah. to craft, like, that is to your specialty, the thing you're interested in, and to people, you know, and Clubhouse is filling this really interesting niche right now, I think, that way. Um, and I'm not saying it's the only way. Like, podcasts have done that traditionally, but I've heard from a lot of people that they're listening to Clubhouse instead of podcasts because it's more real-time or something, less polished, more... It's more like what, you know, our podcast has had this format for a while, but improvisational in that we don't really know ideas we're going to get to. Yeah, there's there's other podcasts where you have sound effects and music and storytelling and editing and yeah. all these things. I so. think the big challenge with the when we go back to in-person um, experiences is like to get people to come out to an event to like watch you up on stage. That's like there's a huge thing of getting ready to go out, going out, then yeah. you're out. Especially if a lot of people left the city yeah. for a smaller exactly. town, and then it's like, two yeah, hours. You want to drive for three to hours to see this one yeah. th- panel on stage. Yeah, we're, we're so what Clubhouse and podcasts do but is they lower. Young people will save us. Well, there will be tons of young people who are just they sick don't know. of being in a small town. They'll move to the city, and the rents will be cheaper, and there'll be energy, and it'll be great. Yeah. yeah, but I think these apps and media like podcasts and Clubhouse have lowered the barrier to entry to interesting conversations and they're also the friction of leaving um which is you can just walk out right like without any it was it's funny that you mentioned that because uh, a friend of mine said the internet can measure everything so you see how many visitors there are and it's public and all that stuff and he's saying this very powerful curator did an instagram live and she's like the director of documenta and now the director of venice biennial so basically top 10 most powerful people in the art world and she does an Instagram live and there's like 12 people <laughs> and he's there and he's like I can't leave because the number will go down to 11 and uh, you know before you know it it'll go from two digits to one digit it's too embarrassing we have to stay mm, interesting I mean I've yeah it's different when it's 5,000 people but uh, I mean I've definitely you know I've flown across the ocean to perform for one person um <laughs> or less like you know you know talk about sustainability yeah. yeah um that's just gonna happen no matter what like at the end of the yeah yeah but it's there's something about that uh, i think the art world has always had a lot of authority because it takes place in expensive places mm-hmm. that's a good point and once you're all at the same playing field and it's uh you know maybe people does a Instagram live and there's a million people and then the director of the documenta castle does a talk and there's 12 people and it's like yeah. who's more influential that's a really like, that's a really good point which is like what you know you like let's say after the pandemic what gives you the authority or why would you go to an in-person yeah. experience yeah, yeah. and I think it might shift yeah but I I, I do think uh, I mean it if 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 I was in in charge I would say Art schools should be free or like a thousand bucks a year. And I I would tell anyone young, like, set aside four years for experimentation. Like that that's that's the only thing I think that makes sense. And I think panel talks make sense in a school and I think artist talks make sense in a school, but I think in a perfect world people would go to school once every four years and, and you know, take off a sabbatical uh, that that's really hmm. 
what I would see as the most positive thing, like set aside real life for a year. That's interesting. And, and during that year, seek out conversation. Yeah, and it'll happen naturally. You're just like, hey, uh, I, I'm trying to fix my computer. Do you know what? And then you just start talking. You always hear that from like folks that are like these world travelers. And they're like, and they're always like, you know, what are you waiting for? Just get out and do it. And and they always talk about how they ran into this person. And then that led to this. And there's, there's so much love and serendipity in the world. But yeah. it is taking the leap that's the hardest part. Um, well, th- that's another thing. It's like freedom in a sense is scary because someone just gives you a bag of money and then you're like, Oh, I can do whatever I want, but I don't even know what I want. And that, that's a, that's a whole nother thing. I still regret that we took a, we never took that invitation. You and I up to travel with that, that group of circus jugglers <laughs> in uh, Iceland. <laughs> True story. Raphael yeah. and I were invited to join a, a, a juggling troupe and record the podcast. Did, did you, did you ever watch that show with Zach Galifianakis and he's like a sad clown? No, no, that was it. It's an obscure show and uh, he, he goes to clown school in Paris for a year. He comes back, but nobody likes him at the clown school and he's in love with someone. <laughs> She's not in love with him. And he has to go back to Bakersfield, California, and he's just kind of a regular lower class. Like He has to work at a fast food restaurant and all that stuff and... But he's an advanced clown, so people he's too cool for his town, and it's very tragic. But he, he joins a troupe of sort of hobo outsider clowns, and but he's not accepted he's by like them an either. Clown. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But man, it's a sad <laughs> show because he, he he wants to live the bohemian life, but it doesn't fit him, and it's like, oh boy. Oh, wow. Um, yep. interesting. <laughs> I'll have to look that up. Anyway, I think it was a good question. I don't know if we got we got to the the best point outside of like you know, conversation and experimentation is important. So, you know, Ryan, I'd encourage you to mix things up just because people have been doing panels. I don't know. I don't have good advice for you, but just because people have been doing panels for centuries doesn't mean they're maybe, good. Maybe, maybe what would be good is um, like doing something, like giving people a physical activity. So, Oh my God, say, I've seen that. Pe- I've seen that really bad too, uh, but go on. Does that work? It does work. No, I don't know. It's like like, a like you say, let's, let's do uh a meetup where we all clean up the park and and then um, you might talk about art. Yeah, that's good. I've been at conferences where they like invite the, you know, kind of cultural person up on stage or whatever to loosen up the audience. And it's like, okay, everyone look under your chairs. There's a balloon. Let's all <laughs> blow it up at the same time. Oh, and you're like, oh. You remind me of something. There was a, 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 the first digital art, art fair. It was called Unpainted. It was quite cool. And they invited a moderator to, for different panel talks. And uh, he was just like a professional conference person, but not a speaker, but just someone to loosen up the crowd. Mm-hmm. And he started quoting Nelson Mandela. And he's like, if, if he could change the world today, we're also changing the world with this digital art fair. It was, <laughs> it was so cringe, cringe. <laughs> and afterwards, he was, um, we all had dinner and he was so desperate to hang out because he was this lonely traveling sales guy. He's like, all right, guys, let's get drunk. And everybody was kind of like, oh, I think I'm going to go to bed. And uh, Oh, man. Well, you know, you reminded me that I've actually had that job before, but I, I at least a few people told me I was a breath of fresh air. But I think it was <laughs> because um, I was I played my character. You know, And ultimately, like a lot of these conferences take themselves too seriously. And I tried to poke fun at the conference while I was hosting it. But, 
yeah. anyway yeah you're, you're the friendly troll <laughs> that's true actually that, that brings me back to the my original troll. point which is like i did do that gonzo journalism thing but i never really stopped i just turned it into my whole practice <laughs> but I think we could yeah. just have a lot more fun. Ultimately, a panel we, we wouldn't even be talking about whether they're successful or not if they were fun. So, um, you know, whatever. It I, takes. I would love to be proven wrong. So maybe one day there'll be a, a great panel. Why? Well, yeah, it's going to be a panel on swings, and you'll be like eating, you know, foot long sandwiches. And I, like I, I remember in, as clowns. I, I remember going to to Gagosian Gallery. Uptown, so it's a smaller location. You have to get in a small elevator to see the show, and it's it, you know it's not the the biggest shows they do. And Richard Prince happened to be in the elevator, and Urs Fischer had a show, and the show was basically like they painted the walls, but in a bad way, and some broken chairs, so kind of a goofy show. And then he's like, "Man, what a bunch of shit!" And, and I was like, oh, "That's basically what panel <laughs> talks are. It's like all these clashing egos, and everyone wants to be the best." Mm-hmm. And yeah. Well, we just got to go out there, you and I, we can start a trend of being the worst on the panel. So just being like, you know, a sad clown on that panel. Unintelligible. <laughs> yeah, just like just Andy Kaufman that up a little bit. I used to do panel yeah. talks where I would, um, where but I would like take yeah, selfies think- and stuff like that and be, in, and I, and I still do. <laughs> I appear in character, yeah. but I remember actually the most, the most excited I've ever seen anyone on a panel. I've seen it a few times where, there's just someone that people really rush to see. Like everyone else on the panel is trash, usually me. Like, and there's someone I'm on the panel with that's like just like beaming. Like they're they have an energy and everything that they say, everyone is just like in awe of. And I think that that's still comes back to your original good point, which is like the art they're looking for the artist talk, or they want that they want more revealed about that person, right? Mm. And so I guess. In yeah. dialogue, that would probably be better. Well, there's 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 a a certain point of view that they say there's no art, only artists, and and whatever art is made is just like leftovers. But the actual thing is the artist and the personality. And I'm not so sure I'm on board with that, but that's what some people think. Yeah, we didn't even talk about that at all, though. Which is like at the end of the day, like why does it matter? Why does the why does any language or communication outside of the artwork itself matter? That's where I thought you were going to go the whole podcast. I thought you were going to go straight to let the work speak for itself. Um, yeah. And like, we should just put no, a bunch of works I, I, up I've, on stage. <laughs> I, I, I agree with it to a point, but I also, in my experience, spending time with others mm. who are in a sort of, uh, because there's a, there's an aspect of life that you start to specialize and then it's harder to talk to other people in general. So you want to talk to other specialists mm-hmm. and yeah. But a group show, whatever isn't a group show like the equivalent of a panel talk? Like, <laughs> Yeah, I'm 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 a much bigger fan of solo shows, than group shows <laughs> in general, known. and and I think I think biennials especially were created for people to complain. That's that's their main purpose. Is so afterwards people can have the smart take. Oh, I thought it was it's all selfie art. Right. Yeah. Well, anyway, we don't have art fairs anymore. That doesn't exist. So <laughs> yeah, it's all NFTs now. Okay. Well, I mean, interesting question. Thanks again for what asking. What is this NFT thing? Yeah, you're talking. talking about. <laughs> We can't take for granted format? that some people might not have heard of NFTs yet. I still feel like... Oh, I mean, after the $70 million auction, it's just like, I've, I think I've had emails from people I haven't spoken to in 15 years. I think everybody My dad hasn't asked me yet. Uh, my mom hasn't yeah. asked me either. Okay. But get, once they do, yeah, you're right. I mean, I have heard yeah. about, the, yeah, people coming out. We'll, 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 do, we'll come back to it in a few weeks. Yeah. We will. By then it'll all be over, so not to worry. The dust will have settled. Okay. Okay. 
Um, thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Thanks, Ryan. Yep. Bye. Go to art school. Bye-bye. <laughs> Go to art school. <laughs> Bye.